the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. January 25th, 2021. We start today yielding to um, U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, who writes the following in the New York Post. I'll have some analysis on this in just a moment. But he writes, have you checked your social credit score lately? You might want to. Mine seems to have taken a nosedive this month. You might want to see how yours is doing. Everyone knows what a credit score is, but social credit scores are new. They're the latest corporate import from communist China where government and big business monitor every citizen's social views and statements. And they're the latest form of cancel culture in this country as corporate monopolies and the left team up to shut down speech they don't like and force the political agenda on America. For those who still believe in free speech and the First Amendment, this is the time to take a stand. Like the old-fashioned kind of credit score, your social credit requires a lot of maintenance. You'll need to get good grades in school and stay out of trouble with the law, but that's just the start. You have to earn your right to live in polite society these days. So if you want to get a good job, stay at hotels and be served at restaurants, you will need to do a few other things. You will need to voice the right opinions. You will need to endorse the right ideas. You will need to conform. That's what the corporate chieftains tell us anyway. They tried to reprimand me this month because I didn't. On behalf of the voters of my state, he says, I raised a challenge to the presidential electors from Pennsylvania after that state conducted the election in violation of the state constitution. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe you don't. But whatever your view, corporate America's rush to cancel those it dislikes should trouble you. In my case, started with leftist politicians demanding I resign from office for representing the views of my constituents and leading a Democratic debate on the floor of the Senate. Taking that cue, a corporate publishing house then canceled a book it had asked me to write. Ironically enough, the book is about political censorship by the most powerful corporations in America. Now corporate America is canceling my political events because two parties are apparently one too many for their taste. It will get worse. The tech titans have already booted dozens of conservatives off social media, and if they have their way, half the House of Representative Conference will be expelled from Congress. The corporate titans seem to believe that the only way to get a democracy to their liking is to eliminate all threats to the Democratic Party's unified control of government. The alliance of leftists and woke capitalists hopes to regulate the innermost thoughts of every American from school age to retirement. And they've trained enforcers of the woke orthodoxy to monitor dissent or misbehavior. A Karen who cuts the wrong person off in traffic gets followed home on a live stream and shamed into crying for mercy as her license plate is broadcast to an online horde eager to hound her out of a job. Everyone knows it can happen to them, so everyone shuts down. The circle of trust narrows. Conversations too easily recorded shift to encrypted messaging apps for now. Until those get banned, too, for interfering in efficient social credit marketing. For some time, conservatives, recognizing that we're now the counterculture, indulged in the delusion that we could opt out of all of this. We'd send our kids to schools that don't teach all the woke stuff. 
We'd make our friends at church, not at work, and take comfort that trust and openness were still possible in communities of shared purpose. We'd vote our conscience because the ballot box was something no election could take from us. And if ever our political organizing were impeded by censorship, say by the big tech giants, heck, we could build our own platforms. But the left and the corporations are challenging all of this now. Your conservative social platform isn't worth much when Amazon can shut it down. Your vote may still be yours, but if your party is denied the means to effectively organize by corporate monopolies, it's not going to win. Your church, well, you can still attend for now, but go to the wrong church and you may not have a job in a few years. Here's the good news. The cancel culture agenda will only succeed if we let it. We need live in fear only if we choose to say nothing. In this time of testing, conservatives must not shrink back. We need, we need to stand up for the right of every American to be heard. We need to stand up for the basic principles that join all Americans together, the right to speak freely, to debate openly, and to address our differences graciously without fear of being silenced or punished for dissenting views. I, for one, am not going to back down. My book will be published, and I will continue to represent the people in my state without fear or favor, whatever the left or the corporations say. The powerful see in the present moment an opportunity to consolidate their control over society and to squelch dissent. That means those who believe in the First Amendment and the fundamental principles of American liberty must now take a stand while we can. Nicely stated, Mr. Hawley, for years we conservatives have had concerns about the erosion of certain constitutional provisions, from the Second Amendment to the Commerce Clause. We knew we'd be fighting for the – who knew? Who knew we'd be fighting for the First Amendment? It's important to note something here. We don't just say we care about things like the Second Amendment or the First Amendment or anything else in the Constitution because they are traditional parts of America or parts of our history or something we like and that perhaps others here may not. We esteem and think such provisions are important because we think, A, they belong to everyone, and B, the Constitution is not just important but foundational, elemental, in organically making us who we are as a nation and a people. We are not an English-speaking Portugal. We are something different, a new order of the ages, we were told. This is perhaps the most important of points. We don't celebrate, honor, or protect the Constitution because it's just old or traditional. We do so because we think it makes us who we are. Now, of course, when you listen to the left, there almost seems a deliberate effort to unconstitute us, if you will, to unmake us. This is done or seen in many ways. Changing the date of our founding, adopting the Confederate view of our founding, making the study of our history more difficult or revising it, eliminating conditions for citizenship, diminishing and vitiating our sovereignty, yielding us to global and international rules rather than our own, and, of course, rendering such constitutional guarantees we never thought controversial, controversial. For example, the use of the First Amendment for what is deemed conservative speech or speech-backing conservative causes is now accepted as unprotected speech. I think I may be onto something here, something I haven't really read or heard elsewhere. What is at play is the effort to unmake America, unmake Americans, to, as I say, unconstitute us. The word constitution comes from the Latin constitutionum, and it means the act of settling, settled condition, anything arranged or settled upon. 
By looking into this, I've come to appreciate the new meaning of what I've spoken about in the past, about the crisis industrial complex or the agitation we are always put in. Another phrase, perhaps, for the Marxist phrase, permanent revolution, where nothing is settled. Most fundamentally and organically, our constitution or founding, which is by definition what makes us who and what we are. You can perhaps better now understand what Calvin Coolidge's rebuke of the progressive movement in his 150th anniversary speech of our founding was all about when he spoke of the importance of our founding as having a finality, as he called it. And he said that finality was, quote-unquote, exceedingly restful. Interesting to think about that, given the agitation and upsetting now of things we thought settled, or constituted, if you will. So we must, I think, look at a phrase I'm creating here, I think, the great unconstituting. Maybe there's a book in that, I don't know. But I do see what the left is up to, and see what it is that they are doing, trying to unmake us, and thus or as part and parcel, unmake this country. I don't think I'm being too extreme in that point. Once you revise our history and eliminate core features of our Constitution and all the while attempt to censor the study and learning about our founding, I don't know what else you would call this. This, if you agree, will or should be our focus for a few days or weeks or however long it takes. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 is the number. You liking that weather? Have you ever seen anything like that? I never have. The problem with the thunder and lightning is it terrifies my dog, the poor thing. She, uh, she um, usually uh, hightails it to the, uh, to the bathtub. Not to take a bath, but just, uh, you know, yeah, for the, I guess like in Lethal Weapon 2 where you jump in the bathtub when there's a bomb, right? Isn't that what that was like? Yeah, I guess somehow she thought she was taught that that's the safest place. I don't know where this comes from. I've had her since she was born. I, I don't know where she learned it. I never taught it to her. I don't know why she gets scared of the thunder and lightning. But this is what happens with Dagny the Wonder Dog. The snow she likes. <laughs> it's the thunder and lightning. Anyway, hope you're enjoying the weather. Hope you're with us. 602-508-0960. As we're scattering, I guess, back into our homes and cars, given the weather, California might be opening up little by little by little here. It looks like uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, as the recall effort is uh, Moving forward apace, they're convinced they'll have uh, the 1.5 million signatures necessary by March to engage in a recall of him, or at least hold a recall vote of him. He is now, funny enough, opening the state just a little bit, little bit by little bit. Outdoor dining is evidently allowed, and counties are now under their own cognizance for determining what kind of stay-at-home or other orders they want to engage in. The state stay-at-home orders have been lifted. And um, the funniest of all things, though, the, this is just progressivism at its best, was over the weekend when uh, the governor and the state health officials said that they, um, they were not releasing the data that they were using to determine their closings because 
quote, they rely on a very complex set of measurements that would confuse and potentially mislead the public if they were made public. May I read that again? They relied on a very complex set of measurements that would confuse and potentially mislead the public if they were made public. I have to tell you, I think the public was pretty confused by not having the data and not being told how it was that the officials were making their determinations. Uh, but uh, watch this at um, watch this at uh, in in California. Watch it in Wisconsin. Watch it in New York, where they are now liberalizing. Just like that, poof. Now it comes at an odd time because it was on Friday that Joe Biden, President Biden, said that there's nothing we can do to to uh, slow the curve of. Um, of the, of the coronavirus over the next three months. I tweeted what was the point of the Thursday release of his 200-page strategy or the point of his election campaign. Today he clarified it when asked by Peter Ducey those very questions. Joe Biden said that um, he will put an end to the virus. It just won't happen in the next two to three months. Okay, all right. Nothing we can do, though. Well, if there's nothing we can do, then let's just open up. Let's open up if there's nothing we can do, which is, a, I think, an admission against some form of interest here. Open things up. California's be at its worst, and they're opening up. I don't know what, what, what criteria New York is using that's showing anything improving, and they're opening up. We have thought, and it's unfortunate to think this way, but we have thought and said these decisions seemed to be part of of a political decision-making process for some time now. It's certainly the notion that we're following the science here connected to no following of any science I can determine, none whatsoever. I almost want to replay our greatest hits from Anthony Fauci. Um, we'll hold off on it for just now. We'll do it a little later. I love that you put this together, Bill. Um, our greatest hits from Anthony Fauci being wrong – and over the weekend, him, of course, and now Deborah Burks, thank goodness, now blasting the Trump administration and the constraints they were under during it. Are they heroes? Are they heroes for sticking around in the Trump administration while waiting for a new administration only so they could blast it and tell us how, ro how wrong the Trump administration was to constrain them? Deborah Burks was talking about how there seemed to be two sets of statistics, two sets of charts the ones she used and the ones she didn't know where they came from that the president was using. Now, in almost any other – in almost any other, oh, I don't know, cabinet secretary or division of the government I can think of, usually we hold in disregard and ignominy people who tell us that they were lying to us. You know, this is probably um, – most famously, the case of Robert McNamara, who was the Secretary of Defense for Lyndon Johnson, who famously in the '90s said that we were being that we were lied, being lied to about Vietnam, and he was part of that. There's no heroism in someone maintaining their government position, knowingly lying to us. So, was Fauci and Burks were Fauci and Burks maintaining their positions and lying to us, or at least lying when they? maintained their positions. Would you work? Would you work for a 
a, 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 a boss? Would you work for a supervisor? Would you work for a president who wasn't letting you do your job in a public health pandemic or in crisis all the while maintaining your job? Or do you resign on principle like other cabinet officials and other assistants attorney general, deputies attorney general, sec defs do? They were they resign on principle because truth is more important than the office, but not to Fauci and Burks, evidently, not to Fauci and Burks. The politics in the office is more important. Well, I say shame on them. I, I, I just don't really want to hear from them uh, ever again. I, I don't know what they've been right about. I don't now know when they were telling the truth and when they weren't, when Fauci said there wasn't anything he said that Donald Trump didn't do. Was he lying or telling the truth? And is any reporter going to ask him about that? I've yet to see that question asked of him. When Deborah Burke said we would lose the people, the, the number of Americans we would lose, even if we did everything right, was she lying or telling the truth? And if she was telling the truth, then why are we blaming Donald Trump for the um, several hundred thousand people who died with or of or from the coronavirus? Is anyone going to ask her about that? I have such low disregard for these experts. And then you combine that with what the governors of New York, California, and Wisconsin are doing. Just as the president says there's nothing we can do to reduce the rate of the virus over the next – to slow the, uh, the growth of the virus over the next three months. You combine that – with the governors now opening up, and you wonder if it wasn't just one big, long nightmare where we who were condemned and criticized for, 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 for not taking the virus seriously enough for not supporting the strictest of shutdowns had to take it in the chin and in the teeth and in the editorial pages. Big deal. Fine. You know, that's the give and take in politics. But is anyone going to say sorry? Is anyone going to apologize? Is anyone going to reimburse these businesses that have shut down and are never coming back? What about the higher rates of suicide we have now seen? Astoundingly higher rates. Did you see the New York Times is even now getting involved in a study of Las Vegas schools over the weekend where the superintendent of Clark County Schools said we can't keep our schools closed anymore because of the suicide rate increase in Clark County, Las Vegas, Nevada, neighboring state to Arizona. Is there ever going to be an accounting of this? That's what I'd like to know. There won't be. You're shaking their head. No, there won't be. We'll just pick up and move on, and it will be seen, as Dennis Prager calls it, one of the worst, if not the worst, set of public policy decisions in the history of America. That's probably what it will be seen as and with no accountability. Oh, except against the president named Donald Trump. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Welcome back, John Dombrowski, with our culture and economy update. John is, of course, the head of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, Grand Canyon Planning Dot com is his website. Happy Monday, John. How you doing? Fantastic. Hey, I saw, I saw a good movie over the weekend. What'd the, you see? The Tender Trap with Frank Sinatra. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. No, of course. I've been uh, 
What did I see with Sinatra recently? Oh, I saw an old one, The Man with the Golden Arm, where he plays a mm-hmm. heroin addict. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever seen that one? That you know, a, no, I haven't tough. seen that It one. was a little bit different. Yeah. A little bit sadder. Like The Manchurian Candidate was a little different. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but music by Jimmy Van Huysen, uh, 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 Van Huysen and uh, yep. Sammy Kahn, right? Cool. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good for you. Good for you. All right. Talk to me. There looks to be uh, some movement on some new retirement regulations. Yeah. So in 2019, the SECURE Act passed, which yeah. introduced the ability to defer taking distributions, which were required from your retirement accounts at the age of 70 and a half. Okay. They, in, they increased that to age 72. What's interesting is, is oftentimes when people come to see me and we talk about their retirement and we talk about pulling money out of their accounts and depending on their age, we may say you're required to do so. And they say, well, why do I have to take, why are they forcing me to take money out of my retirement accounts? Well, you have to remember while you're working, you're contributing to those 401ks or retirement IRAs or whatever they may be, and you're getting to deduct the amount that you're contributing into the retirement account from your income that year. So you're not paying any taxes on that. And it's also allowing all of those investments to grow over time at a tax deferred, in a tax deferred manner. So not only didn't you pay taxes on the actual contribution, but you didn't pay taxes on any of the growth. So, uh, you know, they're basically saying the government, hey, at some point we need to get that money taxed and we're going to mandate that you pull money out so at age 72 the secure act increased it to but now there's potential legislation in the house uh, ways and means committee robert uh i think it's robert neal yeah he's the head of the committee that's right, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. he is um talking about trying to get the minimum distribution age increased to age 75 which would give us another three years to defer and seth that can be a real winning um proposition for many people out there because many people don't want to take their required amounts uh and i just had a phone call just a few minutes ago someone called me said hey you know my wife just turned 71 do we need to take the rmd this year and i said well no that had changed to 72 and actually they're trying to now change that to 75 so uh, to me this is a good thing i think uh, i would hope that this would get passed and from what they're saying here it's very possible that this uh, could have some bipartisan support I would think so. What would be the argument against it? I don't really see an argument against it. You know, the nice thing is, is they're not increasing the age that you can begin accessing your retirement account without a penalty, which is is 59 and a half. So that they're not changing, which is a good thing as well. So you'll still be able to access it without a penalty at age 59 and a half, but you won't be mandated to take money out of it. Uh, at least for right now till 72, and possibly it may go up to age 75, yeah, good. which I think is a great thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then what happens to it, John, if you sadly, as you say, run out of time before you access it? Yeah, so if you, um, if you have to take money from this at age 75, whatever it may be, uh, it's just going to be included in your income for tax purposes okay. in the year that you take money from it. But IRS has an actual... Uh, distribution schedule based on your age, a specific amount that you have to take based on its value and based on your age, which is you're going to be basically your uh, mortality schedule. Uh, So it's easy easy for us to computate what that amount would be if if anyone would like help on that. Uh, And oftentimes uh, people will take 
just what is required unless they need more, which you certainly can take more than what's required. You're just going to have to include it in your income for taxes. I gotcha. Okay. Well, we'll watch it. That sounds yeah. like a good piece of uh, piece of legislation. Yeah, I'll that keep we could on get that. Behind. Who knew that that would be the first thing we'd be able to get uh, behind with the new Congress? Uh, I I totally agree. Now I'm sure there's going to be some other things in there <laughs> that that they may be talking yeah, about that we maybe won't like. Yeah. But uh, this is I, I think they're calling it securing a strong retirement act. Right. For Congress. Great. All right. Sign me up. You got it. Me All too. All right, brother. I'm in it. Securities and Advisory Services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finra Tippic and an investment advisor, Grand King and Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. You still got it, man. Thank you so much, you Seth. Bet. You we'll talk to you day. tomorrow, John Dombrowski. Okay. Bye-bye. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We're going to hear from John Eastman later in the show. He was uh, invited to speak at the ASU um, School of Law. The Federalist Society invited him to speak there. And it prompted, because he was one of the president's attorneys, um, it prompted uh, something I never thought I'd read, uh, a a letter to the... um, ASU Law Community from the Dean of the Law School. I'll read it to you in just a little bit. First, let me go to Jeff in Phoenix. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Seth. Hey, a couple things. Uh, quick uh, time for a quick dog story, though. Oh, always. So, uh, I, two years ago, went to uh, Fourth of July down to Town Lake, watched fireworks and everything. Came home. Uh, get home about midnight, twelve thirty. One of my dogs is missing. Uh-oh. Cannot find my dog anywhere. I have a big yard, oleanders and everything. Crawl through the oleanders, looking through this for this dog, thinking he might die out there, all these things. Just going, wife's on the internet, trying to find something at one in the morning, going up and down the street, freaking out. Just, I can't find my dog. Hour and a half later, we're finally in there, talking about the computer, wondering what to do. And I go into my middle bathroom, and he's sitting right there, <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> what kind of dog is this? He's a... He's a English Pointer Pitbull mix. Yeah, right. No, these yeah. dogs that should not look like cowards, right? No. Oh these... no, this dog's not a coward. Right. I'll tell you that. Right. Neither is Dagny. I mean, she is a bird dog, a gun dog. But, but man, he hates that noise. And both of my biggest dogs hate loud noises. I know. And I had a collie that freak out. I had a collie when I was a kid that jumped onto my dad's lap when <laughs> thunder. Oh yeah. You know. It's just like a hundred pounds. Bam. Well, we were yelling and screaming for this dog, calling it, and he wouldn't everything. come out and he, announce himself. He, he, he never made it. Never made a sound. Yeah, he was nothing. hoping you wouldn't find him. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was just minding his own business, hoping you'd do the same. Exactly. Yeah, was he fun. was all oh, fine. God. Oh God, these yeah. guys are hilarious. hilarious. They're just hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, so what I would like to say. Did you know? Did you know their things. circulation systems? Evidently, are 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 much different than than humans when it comes to like why they can walk in the snow. I was thinking about it when I was looking out at the ground today. I don't know if it was snow on the ground where you were. It looked like snow. It was ice. Oh yeah. You know they oh, can yeah. run around in the snow seemingly with no problem in a way that you and I can't. It has to do with the way they circulate their blood. Did you know that? Well, I think the majority of the blood stays up in their upper body, not their extremities. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know the full thing, but it has to do with foot temperature and the way they circulate blood before it goes back to the heart. It's some wonderful thing God created with canines. 
Oh yeah, that's why they can sled pull sleds. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's right, that's they, right. They can mush, and they lo- and they love it. They yeah. love doing. That. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, like, Dagny loved the snow so. when we lived in Virginia. I don't know yeah. if she'll love it today. All right. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, always time for a so, dog diversion. I guess you know. Uh, I know. Just thinking about the people that I'm around personally and things like this. Uh, right now, just trying to think about you know. I mean, me myself, I'm much more vocal, much more out there than a lot of people are as far as calling politicians and things like that. But I have to tell you, uh, the response that I've gotten the last four years from all the things I've done, all the emails I've written, everything is pretty much nil and none. And from so pot, from, from like elected leaders that you write to, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, I get no response, uh, absolutely none. Okay, and so, um, so my, I guess my thing is, I'm trying to think of things that I can do, something that I can because for the to get rid of the angst, the anxiety, actually, that I feel like I'm doing something and. I'm just not being ignored by the politicians or or my vote does count or things like this. And one of the things, like you said just a while ago, is everybody has to learn to, and I know it's getting out of your comfort zone and uncomfortable, but you got to speak up for your values and you got to speak up when you hear people saying things that are not true and say, listen, I, I know that what you're saying is what you believe, but you need to go home and research it because it's not true and you're, you're spreading falsehood. And I won't put up with it anymore. And let me ask you. Let me ask a quick question. When you, uh, I'm on. I'll pick up on that in a second. But, but to the first point, when you when you were saying you're not getting a lot of response back, or you don't get, I think you said nils, no, no response back. Was it from people of the opposite party, leaders from like you were writing Democrats, or was it like both ways? Uh, the majority of people, I probably, I don't call that many Democrats. I call mostly conservative people when I feel like I want, because I feel like I, I, I try to get a response from yeah, them. Yeah. I, I, and I, I call mayors. I call everybody. I call, I, just the other day, like I said, I called Lowe's Hotels. I called every oh, right. manager yeah, in sure. every hotel. Sure. And, you know, I, I just call everybody. But normally, most people won't call me back, and I don't ever get email responses yeah. back because, you know, and the only time some people do call me back is if I say just, I just leave my name, number, and I say I'm a potential customer or something. And I, I think don't it matters, I... though. I got to tell you, it's easy to to feel angry um, when you don't hear back, but I think it does register, Jeff. I still think it's worth doing. Oh, I don't think it's not worth doing. Good, good. I'm just saying that I know a lot of people call, call, try to call. I mean, you can't even get hold of Ducey. You cannot get through to them. You will be put on hold for at least 45 minutes, and if they do come through, then – they will try to just – you cannot speak to Doug Ducey. There's absolutely no way in the world you can speak to that man. I think, I think anyway. it does make a difference, though, if whether it's a politician, an elected leader, or a company that you register. And I'll just tell you my own experience. You know, I, in any job I've had, radio, politics, uh, public policy, you name it, you know, any complaint we ever took about either myself or someone else that was registered in a letter, an email, a, fo- a voicemail, we, you know, we took notice. We do it here. You know, once, you know, we're not, not everyone loves what we say and do uh, all the time. And, you know, we have a general message board if people don't write or call me directly. You know, it, it, I, I think most places still do register it or take it somewhat seriously. Well, I think they seriously. take notice of it, but yeah. I, I don't think. You know, people it's better than they about, not hear. Know. It's better that they hear right, than right. not. Oh, I want people to yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Good. They need to just, we're out there every day and around your your inner circle of people, speak up. Yeah. Tell the truth. Be knowledgeable. Know what you're talking about and speak up. Don't be afraid anymore. Don't be afraid. We're the counterculture, like you said. Now we're the minority. We're yeah. the underdog. 
Yeah, did you the other see... thing is... Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to harp on this, harp on this, harp on this. People, the, the three richest men in the world have become the richest men in the world in the last 15 years, Google, Facebook, and Twitter, because we have allowed that to happen as consumers. Get off of these entities. Look at where you're spending your budget dollars every day. I'm picking, I'm getting rid of Verizon. I'm getting rid of, uh, um, um, what's the other one? We're getting rid of Chase Bank. Um, I'm going to other places. I'm telling them, and I'm going to go in and tell them, I will no longer use your service because of the way you represent and what you say you represent, and it's discriminating against me. Can you imagine so, if not even 74 million people acted that way, but a quarter of that amount, number, you know? Can you imagine if 10 it, million it would, people it would change, acted that way? It would change America. No. Yeah. We'd go. It would change. Everybody would be, but we have to do these things. Mm-hmm. We've yeah. become too lazy. No, I'm with you on that, Jeff. And I think I. I mean, it, if nothing else, you can go to bed with a straight with a with a good conscience, right? If nothing else, but I do think it's important to call shows like this, call this show, and 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 announce it and let people know there are alternatives, and you don't have oh, yeah. to, you don't have to continually. Uh, you don't have to continually enrich and wealthen Jeff Bezos. Well, don't blindly spend your money. Know where your money's going and then tell people. I go to Ace Hardware and ask them for USA-made material. Good for you. I mean, Good. do it. Just let's stand up, man. That that See, this is what it means to be a citizen. This is what it means to be and have a participatory democracy. I love that call, Jeff. I love it. That's great. Thank you. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. There are two really important op-eds in the Wall Street Journal today. I want to make sure and get to before we um, before we end the day uh, in a couple of hours. One of them is Gerard Baker, who I think is critical reading. He he works at the Wall Street Journal. I think he's their single best editorialist, and he has a piece. America, it's time for unity or else. And then Heather McDonald on why did crime spike last year? Why did it really spike last year? And we'll get to that in a second. I was going to ask Jeff. I don't know how many of you saw it. I almost didn't want to don't want to play because it it's been so played by many others. Uh, the Rand Paul interview with George Stephanopoulos uh, yesterday and. It was really very interesting, and a lot of people are very proud of Rand Paul for defending the position that there are questions to be asked about the election. Fine and well, he did a perfectly perfectly uh, re- reasonable and commendable job in outlining and sticking to his guns. The more important thing really was George Stephanopoulos and how much of an article of faith he made it and represents that you cannot, you cannot raise questions about the legitimacy of the election. It was what you might call, uh, or what one of my professors once called, an example of inadvertent public exhibitionism. He showed what the 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 philosophy and the theology of the day was George Stephanopoulos did saying you cannot say you simply cannot say you cannot be credible and say 
that there were questions to be asked about this election. You cannot. And if you believe that, you are either a liar or you are a subject of lies. You are a believer in lies. And this went for four straight minutes. And Rand Paul made the very notable and noble point that George Stephanopoulos is issuing an opinion. He is not acting as a reporter when he makes that point. Um, And that usually in traditional years past, you would ask Rand Paul a question, then you'd go to another senator or another expert. You wouldn't get into a debate with the moderator. But it doesn't matter. That's where we are these days. I just want... Should we get that? We'll pull that out of you for a little later, I suppose, because it does show what I'm talking about, the article of faith these people have. It's the same article of faith that allows the dean of the law school at ASU to denounce ex cathedra the appearance of John Eastman on behalf of the Federalist Society for a talk there that he was invited to give. It's an incredible letter. I'll share it with you shortly. Um, Every faculty, yeah, I'll I'll share it with you shortly. We'll be right back.